And so we're going to be in Genesis 50. If you want to turn to Genesis 50, that's where we're going to be this morning as we close out this series, The Many Colors of God's Faithfulness. And so some of you may need to be reminded of really what the gist and what the theme and the focus of, was of, of this series. And it really was more than looking at Joseph in this series to really highlight who God is through this story of Joseph and his faithfulness through all the different things that Joseph encountered. And understanding that even when we don't realize or can see or have the perspective, a better way to say it, or know what God is doing, that he is faithful. And in those times, he is doing something so great for us. He's allowing the things that we walk through to put on the many colors and display the many colors of God's faithfulness that we would not have seen had we not walked through some of the things that have been put in front of our path and that's true of Joseph, and that's true of this story as we've walked through chapter by chapter, starting in chapter 37 and now finding ourselves in Genesis 50. But before we look at Genesis 50, just want to highlight a reality that maybe all of you realize, but maybe don't oftentimes appreciate. I know this is true of myself sometimes, is, and it's this fact, that life is made up of a myriad of decisions. Would you not agree with that? That our life is made up of one decision after another, after another, after another. And every day is made up of many, many decisions that we make. And I thought what was interesting, and like I asked myself, how many decisions does the average person make in one day? Not in their life, but in one day. And when I got this number, I thought, man, that can't be true. So I kept looking at different places like, holy cow, like everybody's saying the same thing, that this is the average number of conscious decisions that we make in a day. I would love your participation. Just yell out what you think. How many decisions do you think we make, conscious decisions we make, big and small, in a day? Just yell out some numbers. Okay, 300, 250, keep going, 700, someone said like something thousand, like 4,000, 7,000, I didn't hear all of, all of you. Here's what blows me away, you ready for this? Listen to this number, that an adult makes about 35,000 conscious decisions each day. I thought, no way, but everybody was saying the same thing. Now here's interesting. Your child, if you have children this morning, in contrast, a child makes about 3,000 decisions, which is still pretty much as many as you thought, the highest number was in here that yelled out, that you thought we made. So 35,000 decisions, conscious decisions, you make on average every day. This is what I found was interesting. Like someone actually... Cornell University did a study in 2007. This is what I thought was so interesting. They did a study in 2007 to just see how many decisions we make in regards to food every day. So not like 35,000 evidently decisions we make, conscious decisions, and obviously big or small, like am I going to brush my teeth today? Am I going to, you know, hopefully you all said yes to that today. But 
you know, for big and small, so it's not all big decisions, but 35,000. So Cornell University did a study in 2007, and they found that on average, every adult makes 226.7, I don't know what the .7 gets at, but 226.7 decisions each day just on food. It's crazy to me. So we make decisions about, just thinking about this, 35,000, like it's crazy, 226 decisions just about food. We make decisions, obviously, on what we eat, 226 of them. We make decisions on what to wear, what to purchase, what to believe, what jobs and career choices we will pursue, how we'll vote, who we'll spend time with, who we will date, who we will marry, what we'll say, how we'll say it, whether or not we'd like to have children what will we name our children? Like, I don't know if you realize this, but there's something in the water here in Harvest Bible Chapel because there are a ton of people that are expecting. So that's a decision many of you are thinking. What are we going to name our children? Who will our children spend time with? What will they eat? On and on and on. All the decisions that we will make, whether or not you're going to listen today, what you know, what, what are you going to do right after this? I mean, on and on and on and on it goes. But what we need to understand is that every decision, every choice we make carries with it consequences. Good and bad. And this ability to choose, to have a free will, is a beautiful thing. It's a God-given thing. It's, it's something that makes us who we are. It's something that makes us human created in the image of God, entrusted with this ability to make choices by our Creator. But every one of us steward that ability. Am I going to make good decisions today, or am I going to make bad decisions today? And what I want to do in Genesis 50 as we close out this series, The Many Colors of God's Faithfulness, is I want to talk about this most important decision that you and I will make every day. That's the title of the message this morning. The most important decision that you make and I make every single day. It's the most important decision. And we could think of a lot of important decisions that we make on a daily basis, some of them the very same things. But out of the 35,000 so-called decisions that we make every day, I believe this one is at the top of the list. And so here's the idea that I want you to get today. If we're going to talk about, well, what's the most important decision that I make every day? I want you to get this reality that submission to the Lord is the most important decision you make every day. Submission to the Lord is the most important decision that I make every day. Am I going to submit to the Lord or am I not going to submit to the Lord? It's the most important decision I make every single day. And so let me give you a definition of submission. Because if, if that is the most important decision that we make every day, and we're going to see how that decision plays itself out in this chapter of Genesis 50, let me give you a definition of submission. This is what I came up with. An action of the will. And it's an action. It's an action of the will anchored in a biblical conviction 
that God is committed to working all things for my good and his glory. So it's an action of the will. It's something that I do. Submission is something that I do. But it's anchored in a biblical conviction that I have that God is committed to working all things for my good and his glory. See, in reality, submission's a matter of control. It's a matter of control. And there's two control questions that I answer every day. Here's the first one. Who's going to be in control today? Because if submission is a matter of control, then I'm asking every day, whether intentionally or not, who's going to be in control today, me or the Lord? And here's the second question that I'm asking in regards to submission. Is my life better? Is my life better suited with me submitting to God's ways or my ways of doing things? So every day I'm faced with this decision. Am I going to submit to the Lord or am I not going to submit to the Lord? It's a matter of control. So am I going to control and, and give up that control today? Am I going to place myself under the authority of God today? Am I going to believe that my life is better suited submitting to God's ways or my ways today? Am I going to believe that my life is better suited submitting to God's ways? This right here. God's will is God's word. Is my life better suited submitting to his word, which is submitting to the Lord today, or doing what I want to do, what my flesh wants to do, what my sinful nature wants to do? Those are questions that we answer every day. But if we go back to our definition that submission is an action of the will, but it's anchored in a conviction that, that believes that God is working and is committed to working all things for my good and his glory, what we need to understand is submission does not start first with the action, but it starts first with a theological conviction. It starts first with what I believe about God. It starts first with this theological conviction about who God's, what, who God's character. What is his character? Who is he? It starts off there, and then it's manifested into the action of the will. But it first starts in my heart. It first starts with a conviction. I love what Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says. It says, God says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Have we not seen that in the story of Joseph? That Joseph would have never chosen to walk through these circumstances. But God had a purpose, even in the midst of sin being done to him. And God doesn't bring sin, and God doesn't tempt us to sin. But at the same time, God's not going to allow that sin to keep him from working out his purposes and his ways in our lives. And I love Isaiah reminds me that, you know what? God's ways are higher than my ways, and God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. See, submission starts with a theological conviction about God's character. Do I really believe that, you know what, God, you know what's better suited for my life than I do? And when we reflect on God's character, and when we think about the many times in our life 
when we said, God, I believe this is who you are. God, I believe what your word says. And we submit to that. Or in the times where we've said, God, I'm going to reject that and I'm going to go my own way. That it's in those times that we reflect and we think about, man, let me think about the many times when I have submitted to God's ways. When I have submitted to the Lord and to see what he has done. Or let me think about the ways that I've gone my own way, but God in his loving mercy and in his forgiveness still worked out that consequence that though it was painful, he still worked it out for the good. And let me reflect on the times where I've actually seen with my own eyes that I can testify that submission to the Lord is the best decision for my life. Like, let me reflect on that. See, some of us need to reflect on that today because we're fighting to not submit to the Lord this morning. And we're going to see three principles about submission here in this passage of Scripture. But what I love in Psalm 119, verses 59 and 60, and Psalm 119 is all about God's Word. And I love Psalm 119, 59 and 60 because what the psalmist is doing here is he's doing exactly what I just said. He's reflecting on, man, every time I want to fight against the submission of the Lord, let me remind myself once again about God's character and who he is and that he is committed to working all things out for my good and his glory. And so I am going to exercise that action of my will to submit to the Lord because look at what Psalm 119, 59 and 60 says. When I think on my ways... I turn my feet to your testimonies. Isn't that awesome? I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. So what the psalmist is saying is, was when my flesh wants to say, eh, I don't want to submit to the, to, the, to the Lord. I don't want to submit to his word. And I start to think and want to go my own way. I stop and I'm like, you know what? I've been down that road before. I know where it leads. I know it only leads to pain and regret and sorrow. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a U-turn and say, oh, Lord, okay, Lord, when I think on my ways, whew, I'm going back to submit to you, and I'm not going to delay in my submission to you. I love that passage of Scripture. Because what the psalmist is saying is that I've seen, I've learned in my life that my life is best suited when I submit to the Lord rather than reject the Lord. And so I want to give you three principles about submission to the Lord in this passage of Scripture. And we're going to start reading in verses 1 through 14 of Genesis 50. Let's pray real quick this morning. God, I thank you today, Lord, for the opportunity to come into this place, to sing to you, to give of our resources to you, and now to sit under your word. Lord, when your word is open, your mouth is open. And Lord, may we submit even right now to listen to what you want to communicate to us through your word today. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Look at, look at verse one. It says, Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. Now let me stop right there because I think we need to give some context because some of you are like, man, it's been so long since we've been in Genesis. I can't remember exactly what's going on. So if you remember, 
In Genesis 47, we have this massive reunion, right? And, and, jo- and Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and they embrace. And Joseph says, go get our father. And Joseph brings the entire group of people, all of his brothers, all of their kids, all of their livestock, everything. And he gives them, and Pharaoh gives them the best part of the land of Egypt. And God provides for his people. And now they're living in this land of Egypt, and they're no longer starving during this famine because Joseph has prepared and built up resources. And so what we see there is we see that Joseph's purpose in being there was so much bigger than himself. It was there to provide and to protect through the provision of God, through Joseph's life, his people, God's people. And so now they're living in the land of Egypt, in the best part of the land, but now Jacob has died. And it says, Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. And look at verse 2. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father, Israel. Another word for Jacob. So the physicians embalmed him and taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. So this was something that the Egyptians did. If you're familiar at all with history, you know they're the ones that really came up with this practice. And it says the Egyptians mourned him for 70 days. And when the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, if I found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, if I'm about to die, bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. So if you reflect back on the chapters previously, we mentioned this, that Jacob made Joseph swear that when he dies, that he would be buried back in in his own land. So Joseph is following through with that, and he says, Now let me go and bury my father, and then I will return. Verse 6, And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, and as he made you swear to do so, Joseph went up to bury his father, all Pharaoh's officials, Joseph's household, and his brothers, and those belonging to his father's households. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. So Joseph goes, the entourage goes, Joseph's brothers are all going back to bury their father. Verse 10. And when they reached the fleshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly, and there Joseph Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. And when the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the fleshing floor of Atad, they said the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is the place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizram, verse 12. And so Jacob's sons did as they had commanded, and they carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. And after burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. Here's the first principle about submission I want you to see today. And it's found in the verses that we read in verses 1 through 14. Submission to the Lord's plan supersedes circumstances. Submission to the Lord's plan supersedes your circumstances. Supersedes my circumstances. Let's just put ourselves. Once again, in this narrative, in this story of Joseph, and let's not just wash over it, but let's put ourselves in this story, in what is happening here. Because just think about the grief 
that Joseph felt right now. I mean, it's described here in these 14 verses that they lamented loudly and bitterly. So think about the grief that Joseph felt. But I think what contributed to the grief and what contributed to him crying loudly and bitterly, not in a bitter sense, in a sinful sense, but just, just the depth of grief, is don't you think that Joseph in this time as he's burying his father thought about all the years that he missed with his dad? The many years, the 30 plus years that have gone by that Joseph missed in the best years with his dad. And the reason why he missed them is because of the decision that his brothers made. And there Joseph is grieving over his dad who he's lost so much time with and he gets reunited with him soon after or just before his father dies and the very people that are responsible for him missing all of that time are right there with him how would you react how would i react and i think it's important for us to remember the emotions that joseph must have felt during this time and it just once again reminds us as we reflect back on joseph's life from chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50 that we are today is i believe the greatest trait that joseph exemplified was his submission to the lord it was his greatest trait it's what enabled him to process properly all of his emotions and all the circumstances that he went through. It was a submission to the Lord. You're like, how in the world could Joseph have gotten through being sold into a pit by his own flesh and blood? Being taken to a land that he did not know and knowing that he'd never go back to the land that he loved. How did Joseph take it when he was, when he was falsely accused in Potiphar's house by doing the right thing? Or when he was forgotten in prison by helping somebody else and not being self-focused. And on and on and on and on it goes through every circumstance that Joseph went through. That how was Joseph able to navigate through that? I will tell you why. Because he understood that the most important decision that he makes every day is submission to the Lord. Who am I going to submit to today? How am I going to exercise my will today? See, when I make the choice, and I've made this choice many times, when I make the choice to submit to my circumstances and emotions, you know what it always results in? Instability in my life. That when I'm like, you know what I'm going to submit to? Man, I'm going to submit to how I feel today. And my circ I'm going to submit to my circumstances today. And I'm going to submit to that. I've found that every time that I do that, it doesn't result in stability. It results in instability. It's literally like me taking a canoe in an ocean. You know why taking a canoe in an ocean is a bad idea? When the waves are going up and down, you know why that's a bad idea? Because a canoe was never made to be in the ocean. That's why. In my emotions, though God-given, and they make, they're part of who we are, and they're a good thing, they were never made to be the thing 
that we navigate our life with. They were never made for that. And so it ought to be no surprise that when I submit to my emotions and the circumstances, allowing my circumstances to be the thing that push me to my emotions, there ought to be no surprise that I am living in instability. And that instability doesn't just affect me, it affects my relationships. I mean, I've seen that multiple times in my life. I'm like, man, you know, Lori's saying, man, why in the world are you in such a bad mood today? Well, the kids, why are you in such a bad mood today? And I look back and I'm like, you know why? I can, I can point, point it. I don't like the question right then, but I can pinpoint, you know why? Because I'm submitting to my emotions today based on my circumstances. And my emotions were never meant to be the thing that I navigate life with. But when I make the choice to submit to the Lord and to his word, and for that to be the thing that helps me navigate through circumstances, all of a sudden I begin to experience stability in the midst of circumstances that are unstable. Remember we went on a boat a few uh, weeks ago, and I wasn't sure how that was going to go, and we stayed on this boat, and it wasn't a cruise ship, it was like a boat for like a week And I wasn't sure how that went, so you know what I did? I bought these bands. You ever see these bands? And what you do is you take these bands and you put them on your wrist and you take this little like, there's like this dot here and you put it on your wrist. And supposedly when you have these bands on, and I have another one here, I'm not going to put it on, but what happens is, is supposedly there's a pressure point here on your wrist and this band presses on that pressure point and what it does is it helps you when the waves are like this. It helps you from feeding the fish. And some of you, how many of you have seasickness? Raise your hand. How many of you do not do well on boats? All right, so you know well about these probably or you just don't get on one. But I remember I was like, man, I want to be prepared. So I bought the wristbands, I bought the patch, I bought the pill, I mean, I bought everything. Because the last thing I want to do is spend a whole week on a boat feeding the fish. And so you put on these bands, you know what's amazing? You don't get sick. Or at least I didn't. Why? Because these bands helped me have my stability in the midst of being on a boat that the waves would come and it would cause it to be somewhat unstable. And when I submit to the Lord in circumstances that are difficult, and I say, wait a minute, I'm going to exercise an action of the will based on a theological conviction that God is committed to work everything for my good and his glory, and I understand that, and I believe in that, and I reflect in the times that I've seen that before, and I submit to the Lord, here's what happens, is I am able to have stability in the midst of instability, not because of me, but because I'm submitting to the thing that can actually cause me to experience a level of peace in the midst of unpeaceful circumstances. That the word of God in submission to the Lord is literally that band that helps me from getting spiritually seasick. So I think the question that we got to answer this morning is simply this. How do I submit to the Lord's plan in the face of difficult circumstances? How do I do that? 
Like, I feel like if we just stopped there and I didn't show you from God's word how we actually do that, I would feel like I'm doing you a disservice. And I have three things that I believe that we can apply and do that will help us submit to the Lord in the face of difficult circumstances. And here's the thing when you're walking through a narrative in the Old Testament. You really don't find a lot of how. You have a lot of what. Right? This is what happened. And so these things that I'm going to give you don't come out of the story of Joseph per se, but they're found in God's word nonetheless. So here's the first one. How do I submit to the Lord's plan in the face of difficult circumstances? Here's the first one. Transparency. Transparency. Be transparent with the Lord about your emotions. God gave them to you. Be transparent with the Lord. I find it so interesting that in my life sometimes when I'm praying to the Lord, I find myself still putting on a proverbial mask with the Lord. But it's in those times that I need to be the most transparent. God, this is the way I feel. God, this is what I'm struggling with. God, these are my emotions. These are my doubts. I'm angry right now. I'm scared right now. I'm fearful right now. I'm struggling to believe right now. And be transparent with your emotions. Just listen to these passages of Scripture. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. God, I want you to know my heart. I'm not going to hide it from you. I want you to know it. Like, you're the only one who can truly handle what I'm feeling right now. Search me, O Lord, and O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Like, God, I want to just pour it out to you. I'm going to dump the truck. And by dumping the truck, it allows me to allow you to speak to those things that I feel. Transparency. Here's the second thing. Thoughts. Allowing God's word to be the filter for my thoughts. What you think is so important. What I think is so important. Because I don't do something before I think it. And it's a matter of what do I do with my thoughts? How do I submit to the Lord through difficult circumstances? I gotta say, what am I gonna do with my thoughts? And I need to filter my thoughts through God's word. Listen to these verses, Colossians 3, 2 through 4. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. God, I'm not going to set my thoughts on just what I see right now. No, no, no. I'm going to remind myself who you are, your character, that you're committed to work all things for my good and your glory. God, I'm going to set my mind, my thoughts above the horizon, above what I can see. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So in other words, what, what Paul is saying here is set your mind on things that are above. Remind yourself of who you are. Remind yourself of who your daddy is. Verse four, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That God, even though this is hard right now, even though this is bad right now, God, I understand that there's hope there. See, allow your thoughts to be filled through God's word. And 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I love that passage of scripture because it tells me, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. 
and I have divine power given to me to overcome the things that I encounter. I don't fight this life through tangible things. No, no, I've been given something greater. And then it says we destroy arguments, like we destroy lofty opinions, like, like, like what are we going to think about? We, we, we destroy those things against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. My thinking plays such an important role. If you've gotten an email from me, you know it has a tagline, Think Vertical. You know why? That's been, that's been a tagline of mine for 12 years. Way before anything with Vertical Church or any of that stuff. Like, it's been a tagline because I need to be reminded of that every day. What am I going to think? Here's the third thing, trust. How do I submit to the Lord's plan in the face of difficult circumstances? It takes trust. Listen to me. Faith is always going to be a part of me submitting to the Lord. It always is. There's always going to be an element of faith. There's always going to be something that I'm going to have to step out and say, okay, I don't understand exactly why it's working this way. I don't understand what's happening right now. There's always going to be an element of trust. I'm transparent with the Lord. I'm letting him hear my thoughts. I'm letting, letting him speak to those thoughts, those fears, those things that I have. I'm taking every thought captive. I'm allowing my thoughts to be filtered through God's word. But at the end of the day, there's always an element of trust that has to be exercised. And I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. Submission to the Lord supersedes circumstances. And I love that Joseph, in the midst of his grief, and in the midst of his circumstances, understands that submission to the Lord trumps supersedes the circumstances that he's encountered. And that's been the theme of his whole life. Here's the second thing. Submission to the Lord's plan rests in his character. Rests in his character. And that's found in verses 15 through 21. We don't have time to read every verse, but let's start in verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? You know what that's literally saying? Well, now that daddy's dead, what's Joseph really going to do? Like, Joseph's been putting on an axe for dad, but now that dad's dead, now Joseph's going to seek his revenge. And they're fearful of that. And it says, so they sent word to Joseph saying, <laughs> this, is, this is somewhat humorous to me. Maybe it's only my sense of humor. But they sent word to Joseph and they say, Joseph, just so you didn't forget, like your father left these instructions before he died, that this is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins of the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servant, of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now that's not the funny part, all right? I'm not that weird. But I think it is interesting that Joseph's brothers are like, uh, Joseph, don't forget what daddy said. 
Like, I know you want our necks, but don't forget what dad said. But I think it's interesting that when Joseph's brothers send the message to Joseph to remember what Jacob told Joseph to do, that when Joseph hears that, he weeps, cries. Look at his brother's response. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him and says, we're your slaves. Like they know that even getting that, even being Joseph's slaves would have been mercy on Joseph's part for what he endured because of their sinful acts. Like that would have been mercy. Okay, you can be my slaves. I'm not going to kill you. I told dad I wouldn't kill you. I never said you wouldn't be slaves. Like Joseph could have played that game. But Joseph didn't. Look at what he says. And these, these verses... Verses 19 and 20 are the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Look at Joseph's response. Look at how we see Joseph showing that submission to the Lord's plan rests in God's character. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of of many lives so then don't be afraid i will provide for you and your children and look at this and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them listen to me understand this because i believe it i've experienced it and i'm sure many of you have as well that one of the greatest and most difficult decisions that we are faced with Am I going to submit to the Lord? Am I not going to submit to the Lord? Is in the matter of forgiveness. You will not be tested more with the decision, am I going to submit to what the Lord wants or am I going to go my own way? It's not tested more than it is when you have to forgive. You know what's interesting? I used to think in life, Man, I got no problem forgiving people. No problems at all. And then all of a sudden things started to happen. And I was so naive when I made that statement. And I've seen it in my life, and I'm sure you've seen it in yours, and some of you right now have people in your life that you have not forgiven. And what I want you to understand is, is that forgiveness is rooted in God's faithfulness. The reason why Joseph was able to forgive, the reason why Joseph was able to submit to what the Lord wanted in his life in the matter of forgiveness is because his submission rested in God's character. His forgiveness was rooted in God's faithfulness and I feel like this is such a topic that we all face and I see two fundamental foundational principles we need to understand about forgiveness and they are in these verses look at what Joseph says again in verse 19 he says don't be afraid am I in the place of God. Here's the first foundational principle that we need to understand about forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't about forgetting. It's about focus. 
Did you get that? That whole phrase, forgive and forget, I would love to be able to go and erase my hard drive. I would love to be able to do that on some things and say, that no longer exists. That no longer is a memory of what was done to me. That no longer what was said is gone, erased, whoop, gone from my hard drive. But our minds don't work like that. Forgiveness is not about forgetting, but it's about our focus. Because I say that because of what we see in the beginning of verse 19. Joseph says, the reason why I can forgive is because I, don't, I understand that I'm not in the place of God. My focus is not on what you did to me primarily. My focus is on who God is primarily. And we can only focus on one thing at a time. And if I'm going to choose to focus on the wrong that was done to me and be ruled by that, I'm not going to be able to focus on God's faithfulness at the same time. See, here's what focusing on God's faithfulness does. That in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the wrong, in the midst of the sin that was committed against me, I focus on God's faithfulness through that hurt. And what it does is over time it begins to loosen the grip of resentment that I have in order for my hand to be open to receive God's healing. I'm not in God's place. And though I never will be able to forget the thing, I'm gonna focus on God's faithfulness. And by doing that over time, I'm releasing my grip on what was done to me so that I can begin to receive the healing that God wants to provide for me. Listen to me, God's faithfulness isn't defined by someone's unfaithfulness to you. Hear me on that. And God's faithfulness is not defined by my unfaithfulness to him. It's not defined by those things. It trumps those things. It overcomes those things. Here's a second principle. Forgiveness isn't about permission, but it's about perspective. Look at the perspective that Joseph gives. Here's why he was able to forgive. He says, you intended to harm me. You know what I find there? Joseph doesn't excuse what his brothers did. What you did, brothers, is you meant to harm me. You meant to kill me. You meant bad to happen to me. I'm not excusing that. You meant to harm me. But forgiveness isn't about permission. It's about perspective. And look at the perspective that Joseph has. He says, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And see, we often confuse forgiving a wrong as us giving permission to the person that it was okay for what they, with what they did to me. But that's not the case. Forgiveness isn't permission. It's not me saying, oh, you know what? It wasn't a big deal that you did that to me. It wasn't a big deal that you harmed me. Oh, I'm giving you permission to do it again. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness isn't about permission. It's about perspective. It's about understanding that God is greater than the sin that was committed against me. 
It's believing that God can take that pain, take that sin that was committed against me, and he can mold it, and he can make it into something that makes me stronger. Remember, what is submission? It's an act of the will. Anchored in a biblical conviction that God is committed to work all things for my good and his glory. And when I understand that forgiveness isn't about permission, but it's about perspective, is I say to myself, wait a minute, that wrong that was done to me, I'm not excusing and I'm not giving permission to that person. That relationship may never be restored again in the way that it was before. But I'm also understanding that God is greater than what was done to me and he can take that pain and mold it together for his glory and my good. That's Romans 8.28, is it not? And we know that God works all things for the good. To them that love God. To them who remain called according to his purpose. Forgiveness is rooted in God's faithfulness. Forgiveness is rooted in an understanding that God loves me. And I love what Psalm 147.3 says. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We're going to have a lot of time to deal with this third one. But here's the third thing. Let me give it to you. The third principle. Submission to the Lord's plan leaves a legacy. And we don't have time to read verses 22 through 26. But what we see in there is that we see Joseph now passes away. And just like Jacob made Joseph promise to take his bones back to the land that Abraham had bought, to the land that God had given Israel, Joseph asked those to make that same promise. And I think it's interesting that when you find the Exodus some 430 years later, when you find God orchestrating events that Moses leads the people out of Egypt and out of slavery, that what they take with them is Joseph's bones. And listen to me, your submission to the Lord leaves a legacy. And a legacy is just defined like this, the impact you will make on the lives of others beyond your lifetime. The simple definition of legacy. The impact you will make on the lives of others beyond your lifetime. Here's the truth. Get it, understand it, believe it, embrace it. We all leave a legacy. Every one of us is gonna leave a legacy. The question is not, will we leave a legacy? The question is, what type of legacy will we leave? And Joseph's legacy, if you could put it on a tombstone, would have said, Joseph was a man that submitted to the Lord. And what better thing to have to characterize our lives? That that woman, that man, was a person that submitted to the Lord. Oh, not perfect. But when they sinned, they confessed it. They repented of it. They got it right. They submitted to the Lord. And man, I think in my life, you know, some of you know I was a pastor's kid, right? I was a PK, and I survived. Like, I'm one of the ones that survived. And I got five younger brothers. Many of you know that, six boys. And I look back at my parents' life and ministry and us growing up, 
And I'm so thankful that my kids don't have to go through what I went through. And seeing the judgment and seeing the hypocrisy and seeing the ugliness that oftentimes is characterized by, unfortunately, some of the things that pastor kids see that many others don't see. Just the ugliness that sometimes happens in the church that ought never to be represented in the church. And unfortunately, we saw that growing up. And we would have had every, I look, at, I look back and we would have every, every reason in the world's eyes to be able to give up and say, man, if that's what church is, if that's what salvation does to someone, if that's what, what being a part of the church is all about, I want nothing to do with it. Like I, I look back and I'm like, man, there's so many different things that I could point back to and say, yep, that's where it could have gone bad. Yep, that's where it could have gone bad. Yep, that's where we could have left. That's where I could have become bitter. That's where I could have had terrible resentment. And not that I've had to work through things and work through trust issues and all those different types of things. But I look in my life and I look at my brother's lives and I see every one of us, by God's grace, making it through all that junk. And I thought to myself, man, why was that the case for us? And I can only point to one thing. And it was, my parents made a decision, though not perfect, to submit to the Lord in every circumstance. And we saw that. We saw that growing up. We saw that through all of those different things. And I believe, if you ask me, and people have, like, how'd you make it through? I say, man, we had two parents who showed us what it looks like to submit to the Lord in difficult times. And they left a legacy. Joseph left a legacy. We're talking about Joseph's life today. The inspired word of God includes Joseph's story. Why? Because he was a man who submitted to the Lord. And if there's one thing that we get out of this series as we close it out this morning, it's that idea. God, that in the midst of the circumstances and in the difficulties and the ups and the downs and the waves of life, that God, I'm going to make the most important decision every day, and that is to submit to you. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to filter my thoughts through your word. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to understand that forgiveness is rooted in your faithfulness. It's about focus, not forgetting. It's about perspective, not permission. And I believe if we make that important decision every day, that God is going to bless us with a legacy that will impact others beyond our lifetime.